Welcome everyone to another Red Sox spring training hot stove edition of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Tonight we are going to be going over the state of the rotation. There's been some injuries, nothing apparently major at the moment, but first couple of weeks of the season look to be somewhat complicated, and uh, we're going to be going over that. And uh, we've got some MLB-wide stuff in the in the final segment to get to. Uh, joining me tonight, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm good. It's been good to finally see some spring training games on TV. Um, last week, it was like, what was it, the Thursday and Friday or Thursday and Saturday. Those games were not on. And it was like, man, you know, that's 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 top Nesson just dropping the ball there. But Rest of the month, we've got spring training all month long. Chris Sale makes his debut on Monday, so I'm interested to see that. Um, I'm just happy that baseball is back and I can watch it every day. Good for Nesson for pretty much showing all of spring training through March. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, it is good to have the sights and sounds back. And, um, you know, we're seeing certain players for the first time, which is nice. Um, Yoshida, unfortunately, headed off to the uh, WBC, so we haven't seen him in recent days, but um, yeah. And uh, so, like I said, no shortage of developments happening. Uh, we already knew Garrett Whitlock would basically miss uh, probably at least a week or two of the season, still not quite recovered from the hip surgery. He's throwing off a mound, but he's not, uh, you know, doing drills on the field because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to, they're being very cautious with his newly repaired hip. And then uh, let's see, I'm trying to stay in order here. Brian Bayo had forearm soreness. I've been lectured by the Bluminati not to call it forearm tightness because apparently there's a major difference. Um, but he's thrown, I think, three bullpen sessions since being shut down with that tightness. Seems to be on track. I'm a little skeptical. Is he completely out of the woods? You know, is he throwing a lot of his off-speed stuff, which are the types of pitches that uh, put the most amount of strain on the forearm but and elbow and then finally james paxton manages to last i think like an inning and a half and then pulls a hammy so my question to you as you open your take are you less comfortable now than you were a week and a half ago about the sustainability of this rotation? I would say I'm probably around the same because I never had a ton of faith in the starting rotation to begin with. Um, I, I never trusted that sale Paxton, um, not so much Bayo and Whitlock, but like Kluber guys like that. I never trusted that they would make it through the spring training without any hiccups at all. Um, and we'll see, we'll see sale on Monday. So we'll see how he looks. I, from everything we hear, he's on track. He's good. But with Chris sale, you never know. Um, yeah, I just, 
I never had a ton of faith to begin with. And I, I actually like the group of pitchers that they have. The Bayo injury is a little bit unexpected. I was hoping that he would just have a normal spring training and that he would be ready to go. But the forearm tightness or whatever you want to call it, that's concerning. Um, Whitlock, we knew was going to take a little bit longer. They're stretching him out. I still think he's better in the bullpen, but hey, you know, what do I know? They're going to put him in the rotation anyway. Um, Paxton's injury, that's that's so frustrating because it's not his arm, right? And, like, the guy hasn't pitched in three years. So, you know, if it was like – if he grabs his elbow or if it was his shoulder, i go, oh, here we go. It's Paxton all over again, you know. But it's a hamstring. Look, baseball players, I hate to say it, but they don't – they're not the best at taking care of themselves over the winter. And this is why spring training is just the injury season. A lot of these guys get hurt. Um, it's, it's a lot of muscle injuries, hamstrings, obliques, stuff like that. Um, so I can't blame Paxton too much. But, dude, three years, and I think Bloom's committed, what, now $19 million to him or something like that? And he's thrown – what 20 spring training pitches so i hope it's just i hope it's what they're saying that it's just a grade one mild hamstring strain he'll be hopefully ready by a week two weeks after opening day but who knows at this point and for a guy for a guy who hasn't been on the mound for three years it's frustrating because like again like this guy's back here for some reason, and he was a complete no-show last year. You kept telling us, you know, Alex Cora told us all year, oh, they'll be ready by All-Star break. They'll be ready after the All-Star break. We never saw him. So I'm still waiting for James Paxton to be on the mound and be a significant part of the Red Sox rotation. And it's going to be a while before we see that. So – it's frustrating. Injuries suck. This is why kind of spring training sucks. But ultimately, all I want to see is give me one outing of Paxton on the mound in spring, even if it's just like an inning before March is over. Give me one inning of him back on the mound just to make sure that he's okay. Take your time with guys like Bayo and I know Connor Wong's got a hamstring injury too. Take your time with guys like those because, like, they're young. Like, you can take your time with guys like that. That's fine. Um, but, yeah, like, pitching-wise, it is a concern because you're putting a lot of stock into guys that haven't stayed healthy for a long time. And so far, the spring hasn't it, – it, we're a weekend. So, you know, obviously, it's overreaction theater. I get that. But, you know, it's still a week, and they're starting to ramp up, and already they're getting hurt. That's not great either. Um, so I just hope that, like, these guys – I hope that the Red Sox are being honest and that, like, yep, they're minor injuries. They'll be okay. We'll see them towards the end of March. If they're lying to us again, if they're doing what they did last year with Paxton, where it's like, oh, yeah, no, he'll be back. Oh, just kidding. He's not. 
if they're doing that crap again, then I'll get annoyed. But if we see him back on the mound, if we see Bayo back on the mound before the month of March is over, I'll be happy. Of the guys that I'm the most pessimistic about in the rotation, it's definitely James Paxton. He's just, he's never pitched a ton of innings. And I know I've hammered on it, so I won't again. I'll just remind everyone that he's never pitched more than 160 innings in a season. And only three times has he pitched more than 121. So not a guy who's been healthy at, at any point in his career. 2019, that was that was his his best season uh, to date. Or I shouldn't even say that. It was 2018. Yeah, that was his uh, that was his 160 uh, inning season. He had a 3.76 ERA. He was 29 years old that year, and he pitched a full season in 2019, and then since uh, has not uh, done so. He turns 35, I think, at some point. Let's see. Oh well, no, not till November. So this is his age 34 season. But here's the thing. He he pulled a glute muscle in 2019. Okay, and if you don't know what a glute muscle is, I've kind of I've mentioned this before. It's it's a muscle in your ass. So he pulled an ass muscle. Didn't miss a ton of time, but it was towards the end of the season. Uh and then Playoffs started. This was 2019. He didn't look great in that first round with the Yankees. He had a five-something ERA in the ALDS. Then last season, he's recovering from Tommy John. Looks like he's going to be ready by halfway through the season. At some point in July, he his velocity looked good in uh, the month of May. Looked very much on track. But then he strains his lap muscle. And then his season's over. Then second inning, facing live batters on, on an opposing team. Second inning, pulls a hammy. This is a guy that just can't stay healthy. If he couldn't in his 20s, why, why is he magically going to do it at age 34? I just, it was a dumb signing. It was a dumb signing. And with Bayo, I'm cautiously optimistic. With Whitlock, I've said it a bunch of times. I don't like his demeanor when he's on the mound. When he's laboring, when he's under pressure, he just doesn't look comfortable on the mound. And I have a lot of doubts that he can be an effective starting pitcher. I just, I don't know if he can consistently put together, you know, six quality innings. In, in each start and even at times in, in high leverage and in late innings as a reliever, I just, I, I wasn't completely in love with him. So I'm still skeptical there. And there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical in terms of health with him. He's never in his entire life pitched more than 120 innings in a season. And that was in the minors, I think in 2018 or 2019. Never pitched more than that. And in, in, in most of those seasons, it was a lot less. So 
there's not a lot to suggest that he can necessarily stay healthy for 160 innings. I think 160 innings is the new 200. You know, 200 used to be the benchmark. When we were trotting John Lester out there every year, Josh Beckett, that's about what you would hope for uh, with them. Chris Sale, even uh, up until Tommy John, was a, you know, a 200 inning, you know, a year guy. So I just, I've been screaming from the mountaintops. This, this rotation is, is unsustainable. I mean, you got seven guys that are starters, potentially. Kluber, Sale, Paxton, Bayo, Pavetta, Whitlock, and Hauk. And that's the funny thing. We were talking about before the show, I'm getting chirped big time on the Bastards of Boston account on Twitter. The Bluminati is just after me. And it's so funny, like, all winter long, I kept hearing from them, whoa, Tanner Hook's not a starter. Tanner Hook's not a starter. Well, guess who's, guess who's now a starter, in their opinion? you know, based on the circumstances, Tanner Houck. So I just, I just can't with these people. Um, so I, I guess, I mean, you eliminate Paxton, Bale and Whitlock. So now you're Kluber, Sale, Pavetta, Houck, and I'm guessing Cutter Crawford. Oh yeah. No, I mentioned Kluber. Yeah. So Cutter Crawford is probably going to be in the rotation, uh, that first week and they're hyping him up. I'm out on Cutter Crawford. I've seen enough of Cutter Crawford. I've, I guess we can give Winkowski another chance because last year was his first year, but I'm not optimistic there. They're, they're, they're mentioning guys that we have that, that they're, they're citing them as depth, as viable depth. And I'm just, it's pathetic. Yeah. And keep in mind who they're pitching against. This is the part that always frustrates me. It's like, I saw it today. It's like, oh, Connor Crawford looks awesome. He's hitting 96 and he's striking guys out. I'm like, yeah, look who he's pitching to. Do you know who that guy is? Single Nobody A guys. Does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Single A guys or guys who are going to be, you know, from the movie Major League, guys who are going to be bagging groceries in a couple of weeks. Like, <laughs> nobody cares. Like, so, and look, I'm not, Connor Crawford's fine. Josh Minkowski is fine. But if that was your plan, it's like, oh, yeah, no, those guys can slide in whenever we have injuries. That's the best you got. It's not good enough. And, look, I Garrett Whitlock, I, I like him. I liked him much better in the bullpen than I do as a starter. I don't believe in him as a starter. Um, there's a reason why he was up for grabs in the Rule 5, and a lot of the Illuminati love to give Kyle Bloom a lot of credit. Oh, Garrett Whitlock. You pluck Garrett Whitlock out of nowhere. Look at that. Yeah, he was up for grabs. The Yankees gave him to you. So that's got to tell you something. And I don't know, Sale, Paxton, like all these. It's just like I, I, I want so badly for this team to prove me wrong. I want so badly for the Red Sox to prove me wrong and win like 86, 87 games. Sale to be healthy, Paxton be healthy, but it's like he he goes on the mound, he throws 19 pitches, and his hamstring tightens up. It's like, really? I'm supposed to believe in this team? And and if you say anything negative, it's oh well, oh you're just a hater. Oh, you're just a hater. Oh, you're you know, oh, you're just part of the anti-bloom crowd. And you know, it's like I don't know. I just 
I still feel the same way about this team that I did weeks, months ago. They're going to win 79, 80 games, miss the playoffs. They'll be fine. They'll be better than last year. They won't. They won't lose. I, I mean, seventy-seven I, last year. Seventy-seven last year. Yeah, and and the over/under from Vegas is seventy-seven and a half. And I would say go over, but not by much. They'll win like eighty. I think they'll win eighty, eighty-two. You know, whatever. Miss the playoffs. Like it's just they're fine, but they're not like this destiny team that everyone wants to paint them out to be. Everyone wants to say they're oh they're 2013 all over again. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're gonna be fine. They'll be okay. They're not gonna be a disaster. But can we just stop with the oh everything's fine? Oh no, don't you know? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Like pay no attention to the hamstring injuries. Nope, everything's okay. Like no, everything's not okay. You built a rotation and you built a roster based around. Uh, injury-prone guys and mid-30-year-olds. What did you think was going to happen? Like, this is what happens. So, I, you know, it's early. You know, they still have a whole month left to go for spring training. So, we'll see how the rest of the month plays out. But these early injuries, like, I'm not just, I'm not just writing them off and saying, oh, no big deal. Like, no, James Paxton who hasn't been on a mound in three years having a hamstring injury, that's not a small deal. Like you committed a lot of money to this guy. Like he has to stay on the mound. Like I don't care that, Oh, it wasn't his arm. doesn't matter. Like he has to stay on the field. So it's, it's still frustrating. It's just, you know, it's early in spring. I get it. We're probably overreacting, but I, I just – I need guys to stay healthy. I need guys to perform in a way that the Bloomin' tell me that they're going to. So you're – like, officially, you have the Red Sox out of the playoffs, by the sounds of it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're not making the playoffs. So, yeah. nope. so Charlie hasn't given me a, a firm number, but he's definitely has them missing the playoffs. I do. So this is going to be the second year in a row. The majority of the crew will have them missing it. Um, so here are the six veteran guys Bloom has signed and, uh, I'm gonna, I'm graciously leaving out 2020. I'm not going to count 2020. These are the guys. If, if he gets fired this year and it's, it's looking that way, these are the guys he will have wagered his whole tenure with the Red Sox on Martin Perez, Garrett Richards, Rich Hill, Michael Waka, Corey Kluber, James Paxton. Okay, we haven't seen Kluber yet, and not Paxton either. I mean, Paxton's already a fail just based on the money. We paid him, what, $10 million last year? Didn't even pitch. Um, the, the only guy who worked out sort of was Waka, but you, you were missing him for a third of the season, and that, that did play a role. You know, you got to assign part of why... We only won 77 games was due to his lack of durability. I'm going to say Rich Hill was an epic fail. I mean, he he had a nice September, which glossed his numbers up a little bit, but his road numbers were, he, he had a six-something ERA through August on the road, just looked terrible. Oh, no, excuse me. I got it backwards. His home numbers, his road numbers were good. His Fenway numbers were god-awful until September. 
this is this is a massive fail. Now, just for perspective, if if any of you out there are neutral or perhaps you you know you're you support Heim Bloom, take the guys I just gave you, okay? The the six notable veterans he he signed. Let's put them off to the side real quick. Here's the four rotations we had that won championships, all right? 2004, we had Pedro Martinez, Kurt Schilling, Tim Wakefield, Derek Lowe, Brunson Arroyo. Okay rotation. That That's an okay rotation. I, I think we can all agree Derek Lowe overperformed. He pitched the clinching game every single round, literally. Uh, you know, Yankees game seven, game four of the World Series. But, you know, rose to the occasion and, you know, Pedro and Schilling, essentially Hall of Famers. Schilling won't, you know, be inducted, but he does have Hall of Fame numbers and is one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. I think he's like 14 and two is his record uh, in the postseason. So that's 04. Let's go to 07. This is a, a pretty decent rotation. Josh Beckett, who had actually already won a ring before then with the Marlins. Then you had Kurt Schilling again, had another very good postseason. Dice K. Matsuzaka. Contract didn't work out well, but he pitched okay in the postseason. And as I always love to point out, had a two-run single in the World Series, drove in two runs. Um, and then... Tim Wakefield again, and then John Lester, who pitched the clinching game, as we know, of the 2007 World Series. So pretty good rotation. No shocker there that that, that one, uh, you know, ended up winning a ring. Uh, 2013, John Lester, John Lackey, Clay Buckholtz, Jake Peavy, Ryan Dempster. Now, I, I maybe John Lester gets in the Hall of Fame uh, John Lackey definitely won't be in the Hall of Fame, but both of those guys throughout their careers, two of, again, the better postseason pitchers of their era. Uh, you know, Lackey pitched very well in 2002. I think that was his rookie year, won a ring with the Angels. Uh, completely shut us down in the first round of the 09 playoffs. We got swept by the Angels that year, and uh, he was one of the pitchers we faced. Uh, Buckholtz, say what you will, but I mean, he was first half of the year, he was 13 and 0. Then he had the weird cradling injury with his baby that I think was as a result of the bullfrog that he got caught with, messed up his mechanics. Um, that I'm just speculating on that. I have no proof on that. Uh, you know, and then PV, you know, didn't really work out that well, but, but again, a decent rotation, far and away better than what we're trotting out here in 2023. And then finally, uh, you know, 2018, we had Chris Sale, David Price, Nathan Avaldi, Rick Porcello, who was very good that year, not as good as his Cy Young year, but that was uh, his second best year in Boston. And then Eduardo Rodriguez had a roller coaster year, but, uh, you know, pitched well in the postseason when needed. Alex Cora kind of screwed him in the World Series by leaving him in to face Puig again. And uh, so his numbers didn't look uh, spectacular due to that, but um, still kept us in that game. And we eventually did win that World Series game, uh, thanks to Mitch Moreland uh, later on. So these are all these are all championship rotations, rotations we could feel good about. I don't think... Any of these seasons, we were overly pessimistic. You know, 2018 was was um, 
That was J.D. Martinez' first year in Boston. The vibe was good. Mookie, you know, ended up winning the the MVP that year. Should have won it, in my opinion, in 2016. Um, you know, nothing Heim Bloom has done has resembled any of these. And having seen these four rotations, you know, win championships and ride the duck boats uh, a few days after. I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> What's Heim Bloom trying to teach us? I, I just, I'm not admittedly great on history. I can't get into the, the GMs before Dan Duquette, but he's got to be one of the worst of our lifetime. It's, it's interesting because the bullpen was a big problem last year. He addressed that. He added some relievers. I think the bullpen is better. Granted, like, am I fully sold on Kenley Jansen as your closer? No. Um, am I fully sold on Chris Martin and all these other guys? No, but it's better. I'll take that over a bunch of no names and guy, you know, four A pitchers from the minors who couldn't get it done. Um, the lineup, they'll score runs. I'm not worried about Xander leaving because Rafael Devers is still there. Verdugo is still there. I think that Cassis will take a step forward this year. He's had an awesome spring, so I feel good about that. Um, the lineup doesn't scare me. I think they'll score runs. The starting rotation is like, who the hell is pitching opening day? Yes. I hope it's like it's going to be sale. sale. I have a feeling yeah. it might be Kluber because sale just hasn't had a chance to get hurt yet. Right. Like I hope it's Chris sale. It should be Chris sale, but do we know that like he's supposed to pitch tomorrow or on Monday, whenever you're listening to this, like he's supposed to pitch then and we'll see his first action. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't have a similar experience to Paxton where, Oh no, nope, Miami hurts. And all of a sudden, we got to shut him down for four weeks. The The rotation is a little bit scary. And look, I was in favor of letting Evaldi walk. Like, I have no problem there. Um, I was in favor of elevating Bayo, elevating Whitlock. Like, you know what? Sure. You want your rotation to be younger and a little bit more firepower? Fine. But you're also relying on... It's not like Bayo and Whitlock are your young firepower, but you're relying on Chris Sale, James Paxton, and Corey Kluber, all guys in their mid-30s who have had injury problems. That was your solution? And I get it. The starting pitcher market, you know, this past offseason was a little bit insane. Carlos Rodon got an insane contract. Like, all these other pitchers got ridiculous contracts, and – I'm not telling you that I'd feel better if the Red Sox, you know, blew the bank on one of those guys, but looking at what we got, and I hear all the time, well, don't worry, we got Crawford, we got Winkowski. I'm like, that's supposed to make me feel better? Those guys? Really? Because every time I saw Crawford and Winkowski, Crawford had some good moments. Winkowski sucked last year. Don't tell me that guy's all of a sudden going to be Oh no, he's he's gonna be the savior of rotation. No, 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 no. I'm not a Winkowski guy. Crawford has looked good. 
this spring. He has some good moments last year, but like that's what you're relying on is a couple of 26-year-old journeymen who you picked up in trades, and that's going to save your rotation? No, no. It's got to, like, if the Red Sox have any chances here, Sale has to be good, Kluber has to be good, Paxton has to be good. And then Bayo and Whitlock are like bonuses at the end of it. If the three veterans at the front can't stay healthy, can't get on the mound, and or stink, then forget about it. Your season's over. That's what your management banked on. That's what Bloom banked on. He's banking on the veterans in that rotation making, I don't know, 25 plus maybe starts and being healthy and being as good as they were. And we don't know if they will be. So there's a lot riding on that starting rotation. And like I said, the lineup, I feel fine. The bullpen, I'm okay with it. The starting rotation scares the hell out of me. And if you're a Red Sox fan and you're honest with your feelings, it should scare you too. Just one thing I want to point out. Chris Sale, all of his postseason appearances have been with the Red Sox. He never, Chicago never made the postseason while he was uh, on their roster. This is, he's pitched over the course of six years with the Red Sox. Not a lot of innings in a couple of those years. And he did miss uh, 2020 altogether. Um, You know, probably the year you would want to miss. He's got a he's got a 6.35 postseason ERA. And again, pitched in the organization for 6 years but been in the organiza- organization for for 7. The day you got Chris Sale in late 2016 in the Moncada Kopech trade, weren't we envisioning Chris Sale being this postseason god? You know, the next coming of, uh, you know, a Kurt Schilling type guy in the postseason. That's just how monumentally disappointing his whole tenure has been. He put up some great stats in 2017 and 2018 and um, was the front runner to win Cy Young both of those years. Fizzled in the end because he he flamed out. He flamed out. And so it's just. That's in the back of my mind as we're embarking on this season. And he's not been able to put guys away since late 2018. He didn't look good in that postseason. We walked the tightrope against the Yankees. Then he got blasted, I think, against the, the Astros. And I can't remember how his Dodger start went. But he only made one start in in every round because that was, remember, the belly button uh, infection uh, season. I guess apparently, and I'm uh, this is only hearsay, but he might have taken too much ibuprofen, and that's what led to, you know, the, you know, him saying it was his belly button. But um, yeah, so it's just been it's just been pretty disappointing, and. The interesting thing, uh, we keep saying tomorrow for the listening audience, it's going to be today that Chris Sale starts. 
because uh, this will be released on Monday morning. But the the thing I'm looking for is, is he a mess on the mound and does he make it through? I mean, if it's his first start out, he's only 20, 25 pitches, I think. That's usually about the limit. So we'll see. What if he goes down? What if Chris Sale goes down? Then what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> you hope that he makes it through his whatever, like you said, 25 pitches uh, without any hiccups. But it's like, even then, if he makes it through 25 pitches, what if he's hovering around 90, 91? I mean, look, it's early in the spring. I get it. And, you know, I'm sure everyone will shout from the mountaintops, oh, he's ramping up. Don't worry about it. 90-91 is normal. But a 90-91, to 90, even 90-92 Chris Sale is not what you need. So I'm more worried about what his velo is at and how is he locating because – Again, he's just he's missed so much time on the mound, and it's been so long since he's faced life hitting. Like, that's what I want to see. I hope he makes it through without any problems, obviously. But I want to see the mechanics. I want to see the velocity, and I want to see the location, and I want to see if he can still, you know, bury that slider, you know, into right-handed hitters, or if he can blow anyone away with his fastball. Because like. After this long, I don't have the confidence that he can. So I'm hoping that he proves me wrong and that he shows me something tomorrow. But um, I'm not convinced. Yeah, how many of his pitches are going to be strikes, I guess, is one thing to look at. Um, His only out pitch right now is a slider. His two dominant years in Boston, his fastball up and away was another – out pitch that he featured but the league figured out that hey that's not usually a strike so we're not going to swing at it anymore and that's what correlates with his downturn so um so we'll see Corey kluber to his credit i still don't think it's going to work out and depending on who you believe his fastball was up a little bit today low 90s you know 91 92 93 um I still don't think that's going to be sustainable and in, in where he's at. He only threw 36 fastballs in all of 2022. But again, to his credit, he's found a way to reinvent himself and to be still a relevant and viable pitcher into what's going to be his late 30s now. He turns tw- uh, 37 the first week of April. Chris Sale hasn't figured that out. He still thinks he's going to go out there and be 2017, 2018 Chris Sale. And I think those days are over. And I don't think he's come to grips with that. He's not actively, you know, looking for for ways to, you know, become more of a finesse guy. Last year in his, well, one start against the Rays, I don't really remember how that went. He lasted five innings, didn't give up an earned run, only walked one struck out five. Um, so not that's not a bad line. But then in his next start against the Yankees, he was well on his way to getting absolutely creamed. Uh, you know, he he got two outs, but, uh, you know, gave up a couple of earned runs. Uh, there was an unearned run in there as well. Um, I don't know if there was an error, uh, you know, while he was in there. But um, 
he was well on his way to getting shellacked that game. And it was very clear he had no answers on the mound. And then the comebacker happened. So, and then he had some doozies at the end of 2021 as well. So I think he didn't even get out of the first inning or maybe it was the second inning against the Washington Nationals. Just absolutely sucked. So we'll see. There's uh, there's definitely, um, you know, a lot to pay attention to with him. Uh, all right. I think we've uh, beat the rotation enough uh, for one episode. But um, another team having some issues right now the Rangers with a couple of brilliant signings they made uh, Jake DeGrom five years, 185 million. What could go wrong with that contract? And DeGrom's 35 years old, by the way. So, uh, and then they signed uh, Nathan Avaldi, who uh, has tightness on one of his sides expected to miss uh, one start uh, in spring training. Uh, still waiting for more follow up news on him, but what are your thoughts on them? I mean, just typical Texas Rangers. Like, this team has never had pitching, in, at least in my lifetime. Like, it, they just don't know how to handle pitchers, and um, they probably have one of the worst pitching programs in all of baseball. Um, when I heard that DeGrom signed there, I was a little bit shocked because mostly for him. So I'm like, dude, you're – like you said, you're 35, and you've had injury problems in the past – if anything, you you should want to go to like Houston or, you know, a, a program that can help you stay healthy and like, you know, get you productive starts into your later years. And you go to Texas, where like they've never had pitching to begin with. Um, crazy move there. Evaldi, I wasn't surprised. I know he's from there. So I always figured he would go to Texas because they're desperate for pitching and just seemed like a match. But I'm not surprised. Like two guys who are in their mid thirties with injury history and you're in Texas. Like, yeah, no, no crap. They're going to get hurt. So not surprising. Um, that team just is never going to figure it out. They just, they love to spend money, but they spend it in all the wrong places. Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, Jacob deGrom, Nathan Avaldi. You know, they do cool things like, oh, we drafted uh, Jack Leiter. Great. You're going to ruin Jack Leiter, too, because <laughs> like, he's a great pitcher, but he's in your program. He's going to suck. Like, you're going to ruin him, too. It's just it, it's such a shame. Like, the Texas Rangers should be run better. They're, you know, in my mind, like, they could be a prestigious organization in baseball because of their history and all that. But. They just never will be. They want to be the Houston Astros, but they're not. They're always too late to the party. They want to be a pitching factory, but they sign pitchers in their mid-30s. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, we'll turn them into great things. And this is what happens. So I think Texas is going to end up exactly where they always end up, you know, middle to last in their division. Um, Oakland will probably be the only team that's worse than them in the AL West. Angels, maybe. Angels, maybe. I actually think the Angels could be better than Texas this year. Honestly, like I, I actually like what the Angels did with their rotation, and I think their lineup can be pretty decent. So I could see the Angels finishing ahead of them. So, again, Texas will just finish fourth, and it's going to be the same old story. Like, I, I don't know what they're doing. Like, 
they they need someone to come in and just you know reprogram that whole organization because it's bad and I feel bad for guys like DeGrom and Ivaldi because they're good pitchers and they deserve a chance to win. Grand Ivaldi has had that chance, but you know, you chose to sign there. You chose to sign with a team that has never had good pitching to begin with. So they made their own bed. It's the way it is. The hilarious thing is, is they fired their GM last year, John Daniels, who made a series of dumb decisions, uh, you know, Seager being one of them. And then they're like, we got it. We're going to hire Chris Young. He's going to make the decisions from now on. And then he just makes dumber decisions. I mean, there's no way DeGrom's going to pitch more than 100 innings this year. I just, I highly doubt it. And... Who knows with Evaldi? I mean, he he's had all sorts of injuries all over his body. He's just another guy that just can't can't stay healthy. And where are the Red Sox fans now that would sign him to a three year deal? That thought that was going to be a smart move, you know, a few months ago. Thank goodness, you know, because that that would be just he would be pitcher number four right now, not in the Red Sox rotation due to injury. So oh, I, I, I thought we were idiots for saying that we wouldn't sign to an extension. Weren't we the biggest idiots when we said that? Yeah, oh, no, we wouldn't give him an extension. I, yeah, I never, I, I was mad. They gave him the qualifying offer. Yeah. I, I just, so I would have brought Waka back, but I, I wouldn't have loved it either. And he got a weird deal with, wasn't it the Padres and it, it could end up being a four-year deal worth like 24 million or something but but it might only be a two-year deal depending on how it's structured it's just kind of a weird deal I'm surprised he didn't get more over two years with another team but um because he was good when he when he did pitch last year but yeah just Texas is just never going to figure it out I mean the Astros They've been good. I mean, you can't say that they've got into the playoffs because that's a bad division because every year they're going deep into the playoffs against really good teams, but but man, what a what a division to be a part of. You know, one of the worst in baseball. The AL Central's not great and the NL Central's not great. But the two coasts are typically, you know, got the better divisions, but so what what's going on with Joe Kelly? So he did a um he did a series of podcasts with uh Rob Bradford and he's releasing a book and <laughs> I I don't know what's in the book. Um all I know is that boy do they hammer that uh Joe Kelly versus Tyler Austin fight over and over and over again and they were talking about it during the spring training game today, and I just I kept listening to it, and I tweeted it out. I was like, am I the only one who doesn't care about Joe Kelly or his stupid book? Like, I, I like I get it. He was, you know, we talked about it before the show. He was good in the postseason, but do we all forget that for the most part, since he came to Boston, he sucked as a reliever? Like he, he just was awful in the regular season and everyone just, you know, credits him for the Tyler Austin fight, which if you go back and look, wasn't even a good fight because it was just the two of them trying to tackle each other. And it was like 
two guys who had never been in a fight before. <laughs> like you could obviously tell. Um, but then like, you know, Barstool came out with the Joe Kelly fight club t-shirts and it became a thing. And I was like, yeah, okay. That that's cute. Like, but he still sucks. Like we, we can, uh, we can acknowledge that, right? Like he still sucks as a reliever. So I just, I don't know. I was listening to that today. Like today's spring training game annoyed me a lot. Cause it was Tom Karen on commentary, which I can't stand that's bad like, dry as oh, hell. It's, it's always just a mute right away. And like, I try to listen to as much as I can, but like, Oh my God, the worst. And then like they had Rob Bradford on and they interviewed him for two innings about his conversation with Joe Kelly. And I'm like, what did Joe Kelly ever effing do for this franchise apart from basically nothing. Like they were interviewing him as if he was like Manny Ramirez 2.0 or like he was Koji or something. It's like the guy, the guy stunk. Joe Kelly stunk. Can we just say that? He stunk. He was an awful reliever. He was maybe he had a good few moments in the playoffs, but that was it. And yeah, he had a fight against Tyler Austin of the Yankees. And it wasn't even a good fight. He didn't knock him out. He didn't kick his ass. It was just kind of a weird tackle fight, and it didn't mean anything. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, th this is where, this is why spring training kind of drives me nuts. Because I like watching these games. I like seeing, you know, the young kids go up there and play. I like seeing the veterans kind of making their way back. But then I have to hear Rob Bradford on my broadcast talking to Tom Karen about Joe Kelly's book, which you could not pay me enough to read that book. I, I, I haven't figured out what the price is yet, but I'm going to set the bar or the low bar at like a million, at least to start, if you want me to read Joe Kelly's book. Let me read the book written by Joe Kelly, one of the most average to below average MLB players to ever set foot on a baseball diamond. Are you kidding me? And this is what you're wasting my time with during spring training. And I get it. Like it's Nesson. It's Joe Kelly. They're just, they're trying to fill time, but like it drove me nuts today hearing Rob Bradford just, just, you know, unbuckle his belt and just let loose about Joe Kelly and the interview and the book. And like, Oh my God, like who effing cares? The guy pretty much sucked his whole career. And he certainly sucked when he was in Boston and the fight really wasn't worth it. So why the hell do we still care about Joe Kelly? So it just, I had to get that off my chest. I know small thing doesn't really matter. No one really cares, but like just hearing that today and hearing about his book and like the Joe, the Joe Kelly fight club t-shirt. I'm like, I don't care. The guy sucked. The fight sucked. He didn't kick his ass. It was kind of just a weird fight anyway. Like I just, I have no interest in stuff like that. Well, in, in the postseason in 2018 and 11 and one third innings, he only gave up one earned run over that. So he did step up in that moment, but he will be remembered his whole career for two instances. One, the fight that you mentioned, 
and that that punch that you know is that iconic image of him leaning over Tyler Austin getting ready to club him that punch never landed because he got he got bumped into from behind and it just it never did and it was a chaotic situation and then he'll of course be known for um you know mouthing off and making that face to Carlos Correa which ended up being a, a giant mural so He's at the point of his career where he, who knows what he's got left. He only pitched 37 innings last year for the White Sox. I think that was only a two-year deal, so he'll be a free agent after this year. But in those 37 innings, he got tuned up pretty good, had a six uh, ERA. Oh, no, hang on. I'm looking at his postseason numbers. Let's go back up. So the 37 innings was actually correct, and he had a 6.08 ERA. Um, So who knows? He wrote. He's at the end of his career, and he wrote a book. You know, that's what that's what players do, and um, we'll see how he does. I'm trying to like who could write a book that would be interesting off the top of your head. I mean. I haven't read Francona's book, and I heard that's very good. It's all about the Red Sox years. I think Shaughnessy wrote that with him, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I I haven't read it yet. I've read two chapters of it, but I've had Jerry Remy's book on this desk for over a year, and uh, I actually use it to angle my laptop upwards a little bit. Um, that's the primary use for it, but I, you know, I, I like having it on my desk anyway, I guess, but is there a player like, I, I mean, I, if I, I will say like one of the best baseball books I've ever read was by Dick Hayhurst, who was the journeyman relief pitcher for the blue Jays. Um, and he was mostly a minor leaguer for his whole career. He was the guy who called out play buckles for using um, the not spider tack, but like bullfrog. Yeah. Bullfrog. His books were really good. Um, I, I always prefer when athletes write books just by themselves, when they collaborate with a sports reporter or like a newspaper guy, it always seems like watered down or just narrative driven. Um, so that's why like, I wasn't a big fan of the Joe Kelly thing and like, like I would love to hear a book by like Shane Victorino. Okay, that's what I'm getting at. Who could write yeah. something that would be interesting? I I think like Shane Victorino, Mike Napoli, one of those guys from the 2013 team, but on their own, like just their story, just on their own from that season. I think that would be a lot of fun. The one guy I don't think he'll write a book about it, but. I think if if Ben Sherrington wrote a book from his 2012 season through when he got fired in 2015, that would have a lot of interesting stuff because he'd have to talk about Bobby Valentine getting forced on him, um, hearing aspects of the 2013 season would be cool, the behind-the-scenes stuff. But then after that, I've always, like... When you look at that 2015 rotation, I was pissed that year. I mean, 
they went with this. They called it the ground ball theory. That's they went with all ground ball guys. That's how you got Purcello. That's how you got Wade Miley. That's how you got Justin Masterson. These guys were all ground ball guys. And I knew it wasn't going to work. And I was pissed because we could have had Cole Hamels. And let's see. Yeah. And that was that was the same winter John Lester signed with the Cubs. So not only did we not get Lester back, not only did we not trade for Hamels, who still had three or four good years after that, um, you ended up with that fraud rotation. And I remember fight. That was my first year on Twitter. I remember fighting people back then about how that was going to suck. And it, it did. I would just love to hear what really went on in that front office. Bill James was another guy who carried a lot of influence at that time. So I would love to, to know that, but I, I doubt he would, uh, you know, write a book on that. And I was thinking Dombrowski, but I don't think that would be that interesting either. Cause I mean, he, he was surprised he even got fired. Like he didn't even see it coming. I could see Dombrowski doing a book. Like once he's retired. Yeah. if If he's fully out of the game and he's done, maybe then he does one, but right now he's just too, he's still too in it. You know, so he, he's still active. So I think, though, that if he did do a book, it would be over his whole career. So the the Red Sox aspect of it would be just a part of it. But, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, I don't know if John Farrell would write a book. I hated him, but it might be interesting. <laughs> um, I still want to I, I would love for John Farrell to write a book because like that whole thing with him running off with a Red Sox reporter and then just retiring and like being out of baseball and kind of disappearing for quite a while. Yeah, like, do you know what he's doing now? I have no idea. Oh, he's actually, there was an article written on it a, a year or two ago. He's actually, he owns this massive lobster boat and that's what he's doing. Apparently his dad was a lobster fisherman and he's got a crew of guys and he says that he doesn't really watch much baseball but he has showed up to Fenway uh, in a uniform for a couple of ceremonies. I forget which ones exactly, but um, one of them might have been for Remy, actually. Um, right. And I don't know if he would have showed up to the Pedroia one or not because they hated each other in the end. W- one of my favorite Dustin Pedroia stories, and if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, you'll know that I'm just not a Dustin Pedroia guy, but... One story he told was when John Farrell was still the pitching coach. I think it took place in 2009 and Farrell had him upside down and was trying to dump him into the laundry bin and uh, Pedroia was fighting it. And he's like, Pedroia's exact words were, you can't do this to me. I'm the MVP. You can't do this to me. (laughs) And Farrell apparently dumped him in there. But um, yeah, that was funny. But, yeah, I don't know. He had some controversies, though, and, you know, that last year was obviously the ugliest because you had the Eckersley thing. Uh, you had the, the Pedroia Machado thing. Um, just a very, very turbulent season. And then we got steamrolled by the Astros in the, in the playoffs. But, yeah, so... All right, I think that about does it. We could be back uh, middle of the week to talk about another injury <laughs> or something. I don't know. 
Uh, there'll be some developments. We are trying to to do at least two a week. Uh, the last episode, if you haven't heard it, that was uh, we called it the Girl Power episode. Um, you know, three female guest hosts we had on that are uh, very active uh, on social media, and uh, by uh, all the feedback we got, that was a very entertaining show, and everyone enjoyed it. So, uh, if you haven't heard it yet, go check that out. I have another kind of themed show uh, tentatively planned, but uh, we're in the early stages of that. So um, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag just in case it doesn't happen. But um, there could be another uh, unique show that gets uh, released here in the next couple weeks. So everyone have a good start to your week. Take care.